welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this book, the book of Romans, your word in general, but especially this book that we get to spend time with tonight. And we just pray, Lord, that you would by your spirit, cause it to come alive in our hearts. This word is alive, but we can be dead to it. But we pray, Lord, that you wouldn't let that happen, that you would make our hearts good soil for the gospel, that you would make our hearts ready for your word, excited for your word. And we pray, Lord, that your word would transform us tonight as we talk about the area of fellowship and gospel friendship. And we just, uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the beginning of this journey in Romans. And so if you're new to our church, this is a great time for you to join us. We'll probably be in Romans for at least a year. The passage we're in right now is uh, Romans 1, starting in verse 8. I'm going to read it to you. It says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of, the, of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, always that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as from among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and free, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The main theme of this passage is Paul's care for these Christians in Rome. And um, Jesus taught us, guys, that our care for one another is how we show our love for him and how we're a light to the world, our care for one another. And that care of one another doesn't all fall on pastors. In fact, in Ephesians 5, it says that pastors' jobs are to equip the saints, you guys, for the work of ministry. And this passage is great for equipping us tonight to care for one another. So as you're thinking through this passage, as we're digging into it, this is to equip you and me to care for one another. Um, Caring is something that's a work of the heart. I mean, if you think about the English word care, it can mean either the internal feeling of wanting to help, and it can also include the actual actions, right? I can care for somebody in, in my affections. I also can care for somebody in my deeds. Paul has both. He has a heart that cares for these Christians, and so he's actions that show that he cares. And what I want to look at tonight in this passage is I want to look at five things that Paul values that equipped him to care for other believers. And if we had those same five values, then we're also going to care for one another. And, and that's really the, God's design for the church. God's design for the church is not that you would have certain people, pastors, that minister to the body, but the whole body ministers to itself. So what are these five things? Five things if we care about that we'll care for one another. The first one is that Paul cared about living faith. Take a look again at verse 8. And I do want you to look. So if you don't have Romans 1 out, get it out, look. We're going to go, I'm going to say, look at that, look at that. And you're going to be like, look where? Look in your Bible, look in your phone, whatever. Okay, here we go. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul's first thought about them is gratitude. 
He's thankful to God for them. What is he thankful for? He's thankful for their faith. He's thankful for the faith that they have that's being kind of heard about throughout the whole world. Paul sees the Roman church as miraculous. He sees the Roman church as miraculous. He sees their faith as a miracle. I mean, think about it. It's a bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of non-Jews, far away in Rome, far away from where he is. He had nothing to do with planting this church. And there's these Romans way off in the distance that love and trust and obey Jesus. And these are, the, these are the Romans who despised Jesus. It was Rome that despised Jesus. It was Rome that killed Jesus. And now you have a whole bunch of Romans that are loving and worshiping Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, right? They love him and they're worshiping him as Lord and God. It's amazing. It's a miracle. I mean, he should thank God for them because it's something only God could do. And as he's looking at these Romans come to faith, you know, this is Israel's Messiah. And now you've got people in Rome that, that are trusting in Israel's Messiah. He had to recognize that this was God's promise to Abraham being made good, right? Remember that way back in Genesis, um, Abraham was promised that some offspring from him would bless all nations. You remember when he took Abraham out in the night and had him look up at the sky and he said, count the stars. If you can count them, that's how many your descendants are going to be. This is an answering of that promise. These uh, Gentiles, these Romans, are believing and becoming true sons and daughters of Abraham. It's amazing. It's a miracle. Only God could do it, right? And so he thanks God for it. What I want to say to you guys tonight is, is that you should see one another as just as much miracles of God. Anytime you see true faith in Jesus, you're looking at a miracle. I mean, look around at these people. What explains this? What explains these people around you? in chairs, in a parking lot, at night. Like, this is a strange thing, right? What explains this? This is God at work, right? This is a miracle. This is faith being given to people by God, you know? This is an amazing thing. I think a lot of times we'll think about Christians and kind of think that Christians are just a common thing. Maybe you know lots of Christians and you just think, oh yeah, it's just another Christian. Christians aren't common, guys. Real Christians are miracles of God. You know, I'm sure you have people in your life that you're praying for right now that are lost, that don't know Jesus. And if they came to Christ tomorrow, what would you say? It's a miracle. It's amazing. It's a work of God. The people around you are those miracles that somebody had prayed for and God has brought them to spiritual life. I mean, look around you. You're looking at miracles sitting next to you guys. These are God's chosen. They're alive from the dead. They're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They're living for Jesus. Not perfectly, but really. It's miraculous. And that's the first thought we should have towards each other. It's not all the gripes we have with each other and all the difficulties and, you know, the weird idiosyncrasies that we have that irritate each other. Our first thought should be that that person is a miracle. And that miraculous faith that you're seeing in these people around you, that's the faith you're called to care for. That's the thing you're called to help cultivate. That's what you're here to do tonight. Second thing. If we care for one another, we're going to care for one another if we care like Paul did about prayer. Take a look at verse 9. For God is my witness, whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Paul cares about prayer. He believes that prayer actually changes real-life outcomes. Okay, Prayer changes things, right? Prayer changes actual real-life outcomes. He believes that the prayers he gives will meet the actual needs of these Roman Christians. And that's why in verse 10, he says he, he unceasingly, he's all the time praying for them. We live in a culture 
that highly disparages prayer, okay? When some disaster happens and Christians say, my thoughts and prayers are with them, or I'm going to pray for them, our culture hates that, especially in the last couple years. They see somebody saying, I'm going to pray, as that you didn't care enough to actually do something, so you'll pray, right? I don't know if you've seen that kind of talk, but that's a very common way to talk about prayer right now, is that prayer is something you do when you don't care enough to help. But guys, God's word teaches that prayer actually changes real-world outcomes. Prayer is caring enough to help. Prayer is the most valuable thing you can do for the other people around you tonight, would be to pray for them regularly. Paul knew that. You might want to ask yourself, do I have that same heart for the people around me? You know, Paul says, God is my witness how I pray for you, right? Only Paul and God know how much he prays for them. And, and if you ask yourself the question, you know, how much are you bound together with the rest of us through prayer? How often do you pray for members of this church for particular needs that they have? You know, only God and you know that, right? But that's something that we need to ask ourselves tonight. Our love for one another is going to be shown not just in what we say to each other, but the time we take to say things to God for each other, right? The things we say to the Lord on each other's behalf. And so Paul cared about living faith. He cared about prayer. He cared about this other thing. He cared about being present. Paul especially prayed, check it out, check out what he prayed for in verse 10. He asked that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you for I long to see you. This is an important one this year. This is an important one for our culture the way it is now. Paul cared about physical presence, right? He wanted to be with them. He longed to be with them. He longed to see them. Guys, no matter what technology we have, our best care of one another is always going to be presence. It's always going to be to be present with one another. Nothing can really be better than to be physically present to care for someone. And Paul knew that. Our culture has been kind of moving away from physical presence. We don't have a sense that being in bodies next to other bodies is important. Like being embodied next to another person, you know, our culture is more and more seeing that as unimportant, right? So it's kind of a, a kind of Gnosticism where you don't, you don't really think that the body's important, that being a body next to a body is important. You know, with Amazon, we do disembodied shopping. With Netflix, we do disembodied theater. You know, with Facebook and Instagram, you do disembodied relationships. Not really, as we all know. It's a placebo, right? It's a placebo relationship. But we, we've gone more and more that direction. But guys, if last year taught us anything, it's that physical presence matters, right? It taught us that nothing is going to take the place of being present for one another. Praise God for things like, you know, Zoom and FaceTime and live streaming. And, you know, many of you are on the live stream with us because that's the only way you can do this. And praise God for that. But the apostles, they knew that presence was important, to be present with one another. And they had technology. It's not that they didn't have technology. They had technology of letter writing, right? And they were able to write letters that were inspired by God to other people. That's a, an amazing thing to be able to do. But they still wanted to be physically present with one another. Listen to what John said. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you that we could talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Or Paul says to Timothy, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Did you know Paul in his ministry traveled somewhere around 15,500 miles in his ministry? Okay, over 15,000 miles. And about half of that was on foot, a little more than half of that. 
about 8,700 miles, people think. That, I don't know how many steps that is. You know, if you're keeping track of your steps, it's a lot of steps, right? And a lot of that was to go to places where there were people that didn't know Jesus. But a lot of that was also to visit people who are already Christians. He would double back around and he would spend the time to be present with people. Even though he could write them a letter like Romans, right? He wanted to be present with them. Think about all that walking. It was because he wanted to be with people that he loved to actually bless them and be blessed by them. How about you? Do you prioritize being present? And of course, we live in the thick of a viral pandemic. I think that's important to acknowledge. And so that might mean that you are physically present with somebody outside six feet from them, okay? But a lot of good can be done outside six feet from somebody, can it not? Amazing good can. You're like, oh, it's not worth it because I'd have to be six feet from them. It's like, how close do you need to be to minister to somebody? You know, it's like, I need to be real close, you know? Like, that's fine. A lot of good can be done, right? And there's a lot of ways to do it. I mean, we don't live in Michigan. This can be done. You can meet a friend at the park. You could go for a walk with him. There's all kinds of things you could do if you wanted to be really safe about it. Unlike Paul's situation, all that's lacking for us is to want to, right? Paul wanted to. He said, I long to see you. He wanted to. We need to work on that, right? We need to work on our want to because we have no problem being able to. We need to work on our want to. Why did he want to? That's in verse 11. Take a look at it. It starts with the word that. You'll see it here. Paul cared about fellowship. Look at verse 11. For I long to see you. And then there's this word to explain it, right? That. And that's why he longed to see him. That I might impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wanted mutual encouragement with them. Um, there's a biblical term for this. It's called fellowship. It's not in this text, but it's a biblical word throughout. This is certainly what this text is talking about. The word's koinonia. It means fellowship. It means sharing. And we could actually construct a, a definition of fellowship from this text. Fellowship is strengthening each other's faith by exchanging spiritual gifts of encouragement. Okay? So fellowship is strengthening each other's faith by exchanging spiritual gifts of encouragement. You guys have seen this. You guys, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've noticed how if you're with another Christian that, that loves and serves and enjoys Jesus and you're with them, you catch some of that from them, right? You pick up some of that from them. Your faith is strengthened by being with people that have strong faith, right? Didn't that happen to you? You guys know? You never experienced that? That's sad. Uh, how many of you never experienced that? And I'm going to put you in a few people that are here that actually could give you that. But you guys know this, right? You're not acknowledging it, but, but you know it. That when you're with other Christians, you get stirred up, right? Like, like two burning coals, when they're together, ignite one another. Fellowship is God's way of strengthening our fire for him. And it's not something that we can dispense with. It's not like, oh, I don't really need fellowship, I'll read a book. I don't really need fellowship, I'll pray. I don't really need fellowship, I'll read the Bible. It doesn't work that way. These are a bunch of different things, they have a bunch of different purposes, and we need this. And notice, guys, too, from this text in verses 11 and 12, that fellowship is a spiritual gift exchange. Did you notice that? Did you notice what Paul said here? He said, For I long to be with you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And then listen to the next part. It's really interesting. I think this is surprising. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. That's unusual, I think, right? Paul is expecting to be encouraged by them. He's not like, hey, I got some great stuff for you. 
I don't need anything from you, but boy, you need stuff from me. He's not like that, right? He wants to be with these Christians because he knows that being near their faith is going to encourage him. It's mutual. It's both directions. It's a spiritual gift exchange. That's what it is. That's what this is designed to be, is a spiritual gift exchange when we get together. And you might have come here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to offer these people. I'm here to receive, but I don't have anything to offer. Notice, guys, that this is a spiritual gift, Paul says. And when he uses the word spiritual, he almost always means from the power of the Holy Spirit or in connection with the Holy Spirit. These gifts are something the Holy Spirit does through you for other people, okay? So you do. If you're a Christian, then you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and he will give everyone here, anybody you talk to, will give a spiritual gift because the Holy Spirit's the one giving the gift. Your delivery, your FedEx, okay? You're bringing the gift, but the gift is something that comes through the Holy Spirit. And so when we come together, you know, and this would be a great thing for you to do when you're driving, you're like, Lord, you know, I'm not in a great frame of mind. I don't really feel like I'm ready for this, but Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Please help me to, to give a gift to the people that are here. Like, help me to bring something. The Holy Spirit is bringing something. You bring something to exchange every time you gather. And so be praying for that. Another way Christians can misunderstand this is some Christians don't think other Christians have a gift for them, right? This happens a lot in leaders in the church. Some leaders in the church will be like, I don't bother to go to church unless I'm the one serving. Like if I wasn't preaching tonight, well, I'm not going to come because, you know, I'm not on tonight. It's my time off, you know. It's a prideful way to think, right? It's a prideful way to think because the way I should be thinking is that I'm going to come tonight to receive, right? I'm going to give and receive, and uh, Paul knew that he needed it. I mean, if Paul's thinking like, I want to go to Rome because I'm going to be blessed by their faith, then there's not one of us in here that doesn't need that from the other people here. And we ought to be expecting that. I mean, you're meeting with people that are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God lives in these people. Of course you're going to be blessed by being with them. Paul craved it. Jesus craved it. You guys realize that? Jesus wanted fellowship. Jesus was strengthened by fellowship. You think about his relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, right? You go to their house and hang out with them. Why? Because he knew that he would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit, because that's how Jesus lived in this world and did all the things he did was by the power of the Spirit, that he would be strengthened by the Holy Spirit through his friends. Isn't that amazing? It's humbling. Like, I don't need other people. And it's like, and then there's Jesus. And he's like, man, I need to go see those guys. It would really strengthen me. I know the Holy Spirit would really work through them to minister to me. Think about him in Gethsemane. What does he want? He wants Peter and John with him, right? To pray with him and be with him, be physically present, and, and that he would be built up by the Holy Spirit in that most difficult place. If even Jesus needed it, we need it. So fellowship is a spiritual gift exchange. It's the Holy Spirit has given you a gift for other people, and he's given all these other people a gift for you. And it's amazing, guys. When you think about it's an amazing creation, the body of Christ. The body of Christ, a group of people, all indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they care for one another's needs by the power of the Spirit. This is an actual organism. This is an actual body. And, you know, all those metaphors Paul uses later in the book of body are something that are real. We experience that. It's the Holy Spirit at work in our body taking care of one another so that we leave stronger because the Holy Spirit is in us. And so come on Sunday, you know, come for preaching for sure, come for worship for sure, come for communion for sure, but come for fellowship. Come here expecting to both give and receive spiritual gifts from one another. 
Because that's God's design to strengthen us. It's a spiritual gift exchange. Um, one of the things that became really obvious to us early in the days of the pandemic, isn't it grand to talk that way? Early in the days of the pandemic. One of the things we noticed is that we cannot replace the Sunday morning gathering. You know, praise God for the technology, being able to live stream and Zoom and all these other things, but it does not replace the Sunday gathering. It can't. This thing that God's designed, of course, you know, God's designed it, so he's wise in it. This thing that God's designed is something that is incredibly efficient. And it's always been that way for us. People come early to set up. People stay at least an hour afterwards, sometimes an hour and a half. It's incredibly efficient. It's a hive of people and dwell by the Spirit, you know, sharing their gifts with one another. There's something going on here that you just can't, you just can't do like a video message and a song and maybe a Zoom call afterwards and replace this. It's, it's God's design, you know. We're not like, hey, I see what you did there, Lord but I think we can make that real convenient at home. And you just can't. And um, like I said, praise God for all the things that we have to do that. But, but there's something incredibly amazing that God does with our physical presence as we share these gifts. And you can see how much Paul wanted it. Take a look at verse 13. You can see the depth of desire that he had for that physical presence and that fellowship because of how he's deprived of it. If you look at verse 13, it says, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been hindered. And I know there's some of you that are on with us online streaming right now, and you're like, yes, I would love to be there, but you know, because of this health concern that I have, or this sickness, or you know, we're about to have a baby, or all these different things, you could be hindered, you could be prevented from being with us. And there's many legitimate reasons that could happen. Paul talks about it here as being prevented. Did you see that? Or hindered? He'd often talk that way in his letters. He'd often talk, you know, to the Thessalonians, like, I wanted to be with you, but I got prevented, I got hindered. Or, you know, you talk in other books in that way. And you might ask yourself, well, prevented by who? Like, who's preventing him? In Thessalonians, at one point, he says it's his enemies that prevented him. Another place in Thessalonians, he says it's Satan that's prevented him. In this place, he implies that it's God that prevented him. Because if you look at verse 10, he says, somehow by God's will, I might succeed in coming to you. I think this would be a really good time to remind you guys that God is absolutely sovereign over everything that we are prevented from doing. You guys realize that? God is absolutely sovereign over everything that we are prevented from doing, whether that's, you know, you're stuck at home with a health problem online, whether that's there's something going on with your work, whether that's something going on in our nation. God is absolutely sovereign over everything that we are prevented from doing. And I know you're like, oh man, there's so many problems with saying that. It doesn't matter because it's biblical, right? God is absolutely sovereign. The old way of talking about that would be to say that you are providentially hindered. How many of you guys are old enough to remember people talking that way? Okay, providentially hindered. Somebody's like, oh, I'm sorry we didn't see you at the potluck. It's like, yeah, I was providentially hindered. You could start using that. It better be legit, though, if you're going to call it providentially hindered. But the idea was that God, you know, somehow in, in his providence didn't make it possible for me to come. And there's so many ways that we could end up providentially hindered. And I just think that's something that we need to understand right now is the sovereignty of God. Paul thought through that lens all the time because, guys, there's so much fear out there. There's so much hysteria out there right now. And a lot of it's from Christians that say they believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm like, well, I'm not seeing it on you right now. And I, I know there's difficult life situations where grief is right and, you know, you read the Psalms and people are lamenting and things like that, and it's totally legitimate. But at some point, 
we need to circle back around and say, God is sovereign, isn't he? He's still sovereign, right? He's still on the throne. Everything's going exactly according to his sovereign plan, actually. And there's a lot of peace we could take in that. It's a, it's a peace that we give up when we don't remember it. So why do you think God would be hindering or preventing Paul from coming to Rome? It seems like a, a clear good. He wants to go there. He wants to be with these people. And God is preventing him, hindering him. What benefit do you think might be happening from that? Got the letter of Romans. That's pretty solid, right? Would you say that was a really solid reason for God to hinder Paul from going to Rome at that time? Got the letter to Romans. And a thousand other things God did through it. And so I think we could remember that, that, you know, when we're in that place or where we're feeling like, man, Lord, why haven't you provided this thing? Or why do I keep on running into roadblocks here and there? God's doing a thousand good things through everything he ordains. Just remember Paul, he wrote Romans because of it, you know? I made a list of the other day of all the blessings that God gave through 2020. And I thought I would need like a post-it. I needed extra sheets of paper. And every day I'm thinking of another one I can write in. And you know what, guys? In the world to come, we're going to continue to add to that list. God knows exactly what he's doing. And there's thousands of blessings coming through things that just don't seem right. Lastly, something Paul cared about that would help us care for one another. Paul cared about the gospel. Look at verse 13. I have often intended to come to you in order that I might reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul's spiritual gift that he had for them was to preach the beautiful message of the gospel to them. That's what Paul was called to do. He said he's obligated to do it. He's compelled to do it. He's driven to do it. And he's driven to do it for all kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, Greeks and barbarians. You're like, oh, that's not nice. That's what the Greeks thought. There was us, the Greeks, and all the rest of the people are barbarians. That's the way they talked. And so he uses that terminology to cultured people and uncultured people, to foolish people and to wise people. The gospel's for everyone. But let me ask you this. Who specifically, in verse 15, is Paul eager to preach the gospel to? Take a look at it. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who's the you? It's to the church, right? To Christians. Does that surprise you? He's like, man, the main thing I want to do is come and preach the gospel to you guys. Does that surprise you? Is that strange to you? That, that Paul really wants to preach the gospel to believers? Paul's idea of preaching the gospel was not limited to initial conversion. Preaching the gospel wasn't just the way he brought people to Jesus. Preaching the gospel was the way he strengthened people who were already in Jesus. This is super important. And this is actually something that we hold extremely dear in this church, is that the gospel's for believers. Because sometimes you get the sense that like, yeah, the gospel's for non-Christians. And then when they get in the door, then we got them. You know, then we're just going to pile on duty on them. They don't need to be hearing the gospel. That's not for them. Maybe they need to learn the gospel to tell the other people to get them inside because then we got them. That's not the way it works, right? It's not the way it works. We can act like that. We can just pile duty after duty on top of people without ever applying Christ. But the gospel's for believers. We're going to see a little bit later in Romans 7 that the law doesn't have the power to change us. You guys realize that? The law does not have the power to change you. The law can only show you where the change is needed, which is helpful. 
Okay? But it doesn't have the power to change you. The gospel is the power to change you. You think about train tracks. The law is the train tracks that guide the train on where to go. No power to move it along, though. Right? The gospel is the locomotive that produces the joy and the power in people's lives so that they can move down those tracks of the law. Sometimes we, we think that if we emphasize grace to people, somehow they're going to be less obedient. Paul thinks just the opposite. Remember that Paul is trying to rally these people to support a mission to Spain. So he must believe that the more filled with the gospel you are, the more likely you're going to be on mission, right? The more obedient you're going to be. And so we need to take a note from that. Paul called it last week, the obedience of faith, that faith produces obedience. And then that faith is strengthened by hearing and believing the gospel. And of course, this takes discernment. I mean, Perhaps there's a person in your life that's failing and weak Christian that needs to hear the law of Christ in some specific way, but perhaps she also needs to hear the gospel again, right? Perhaps she needs to hear the gospel applied to her particular sin and temptation. That's what Paul does here, right? Paul gives us both law and gospel. He gives us both the tracks and the locomotive. And one thing you'll notice about the book of Romans is, is that it's front-loaded with gospel, it's totally front-loaded with gospel. It's mostly locomotive in the beginning. The tracks come later. And so I just say, in all your gift exchanging, in all your loving one another, in all your encouraging and exhorting one another, don't forget to give people the gospel. Give them the power to be transformed, not just the, the knowledge of where it needs to happen. The Lord's Supper is God giving us the gospel, right? Lord's Supper is God speaking the gospel to our hearts again. As the Lord shows us the bread here, he's telling us again about how his son offered his own body on the cross to remove every sin that separated you from God. Isn't that amazing? And as he brings us the cup, he cleanses our consciences. He tells us that the blood of his son has removed every stain of sin. So if you're here tonight and you're repentant of your sin and you saw this burden in your conscience, as you take the cup, remember the blood of Christ cleanses every sin. There is no sin in this gathering, any of you have, that is stronger than the power of Jesus' blood to remove it. The Lord's Supper is also called communion because when we take it, we actually have fellowship with Jesus. There's actually a way that we have fellowship with Jesus. He said in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There's a fellowship there. There's a sharing. Jesus wants to meet you here in this taking of the Lord's Supper. It's important to ask the question of who should take the Lord's Supper. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way, and you guys know I love this. Question 81 who should take the Lord's table? And this is the answer. Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sin. Any of you? Displeased with yourself because of your sin? But who nonetheless trust that their Savior has pardoned and that their remaining weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Jesus. Any of you guys? And then third, who also desire more and more to be strengthened in their faith and lead a better life. And then it continues, hypocrites and those who are unrepentant, however, eat and drink judgment to themselves. So you have three qualifications. You must be displeased with yourself because of your sin. You must nonetheless trust that your sins are pardoned by Jesus. And then third, desire more and more to have your faith strengthened, because that's what this does. 
So if that's you, please take the Lord's Supper with us. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for you to preserve you body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Let's take the bread together. Let's take the cup together. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you to preserve you body and soul into everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you and be thankful. Let's be thankful. Father, we thank you for this physical reminder you give us every week. We thank you for the blessing of worship together in this place. We thank you for the blessing of your word and how clarifying and how soul-searching it is and how life-giving it is. And we thank you for the Lord's Supper as we, in physical reminder, experience again your love and are fed by you through the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for fellowship. And we just pray that anew tonight as we share with one another our faith in you, that you strengthen each other, Lord. We just pray for just an amazing exchange of your grace to occur here. Lord, we pray for a renewed heart for this. I think all of us have felt a dullness in our desire to be together. As we hear Paul say that I long to be with you and things like that, we can often feel that our longing is weak. And Lord, we just pray you'd stir it up. We pray that your word would have that effect in us tonight, that this would be a pivotal point, a turning point for us in our desire to really love and enjoy your people. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.